Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz, and a slight tangent. Get you going that little if you bit. Say to anger it. is a great ah, motivator. Yeah. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Off the Ball Daily. All right, something a little bit different now. Claire Walsh is a competitive free diver, and her book, Underwater, How Holding My Breath Taught Me to Live, is available now. It is her story of uh, getting into free diving, and in many ways, uh, the story of her life. And I'm delighted that Claire is with us now. How are you keeping, Claire? Claire, things. Good to see you. Uh, free diving. You're right in the book of uh, listening to a radio show, and they're talking about free diving in uh, quite horrific ways and how frightening it all is. And uh, if I was just asked about free diving, I would probably describe it in the same way. So maybe being the expert in what free diving is, uh, you can tell us exactly what it is. So free diving is the sport of holding your breath underwater. So in a competitive sense, it's measured in three different elements. So one set of disciplines is measured in time. So that's the longest amount of time you can hold your breath in water. The next set is measured in distance. So those distance, those disciplines, excuse me, are typically done in the pool. So if you imagine, and I know you probably tried it because I certainly did, uh, holding your breath in that pool after swimming lessons as a kid and seeing how far you could go up and down the pool on one breath. So that is pool free diving. And then the third element is depth. And for me, that's the real, I suppose, showstopper of the sport. That is holding your breath on the surface of the water and descending as far down as you can go and back up all on one breath. So uh, you're right. I remember uh, seeing how long, I, how many lengths you could swim in the pool uh, <laughs> underwater. And then I sort of moved on with my life, got changed and didn't think about it again. Uh, <laughs> free diving as deep as you possibly can. Why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to try it? Um, because it is incredible. And I'm fully aware that when I talk about this, my eyes turn into that emoji that has love hearts in them. <laughs> um, because it's incredible. Now, when I did my very first course in freediving. It was two weeks after a very famous freediver passed away, Natalia Mulchnova. So, you know, I had told people at home, I'm here, I'm in Utila, which is an island off Honduras. I'm about to do this course. And I, I can't remember if they'd read headlines at home, but certainly, you know, I'm describing what freediving is and I'm getting this question, why? And my attitude was, why not? Because I was traveling, because I was in a phase in my life where I was challenging myself to say yes to things. Even if they scared me, even if it it might seem that it wasn't really for me, I was going to give it a go anyway. And freediving kind of came into my sphere, I suppose, a few times. I was pretty curious about it. I was going to give it a go. And then, just like you, I assumed I would move on with my life. But once I tried it, definitely something about it stuck. I'm trying to remember back then. So back then is 2015 of what exactly it was about it. I think it was the competitive element. I'm quite a competitive person. I would have swam quite a bit. Um, I am comfortable in water, but the element of competing with yourself, it's not really against other people. It's with yourself. So that's, I think, what the initial hook was to begin with. And as I learned more about the sport, I learned how much it challenged me physically, yes, but also mentally. 
the competitive um, sorry Clark, I was going to say the competitive element was not something I was aware of until I read the book because I thought that free diving was sort of akin to scuba diving it was something you did when you were on an adventure when you were touring the world beautiful parts of the world you went as far down as you possibly could to see these creatures you'd never otherwise be able to see was it clear to you straight away that this was actually more the test than the enjoyment out of it um like i i didn't go into competitive freediving until 2017 and in fact that's when i had my first exposure to to you know freediving competitions i worked as part of the safety team in the world championships in roatan in 2017 and suddenly like it's a different ball game we're not talking about 10 20 30 40 meters here we're talking about 90 meters 100 meters 110 120 i was seeing the dangers of the sport up front and center i was seeing blackouts in the water i was seeing you know what potentially can go wrong and also the structure around it that's in place to keep divers safe it gave me like respect almost seems too small a word for what i felt for those for the you know wider team but you know when you see the 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 full picture it is humbling it is inspiring it is quite literally breathtaking to see what athletes were pushing themselves to do and it definitely sparked a little bit of curiosity in me to see how i would fare in such an arena to dive for yourself you know as you said in beautiful parts of the world is very different to diving to a clock with people watching and in a you know a higher pressure environment for people listening on the radio then can you describe a free dive you know what you wear the technical side of it how how you prepare yourself mentally physically how long it can last sure so let's so typically you know you might take 10 to 15 maybe more minutes to prepare for a dive and what what i mean by that is you're preparing your breath you're preparing your body and you're also preparing your mind so every athlete has their own routine beforehand but it'll be primarily focused on slowing your breathing down you are calming your thoughts you are letting go of tension you are lowering your heart rate so like i said each athlete will do their own specific thing but you're trying to empty your mind as much as it can you're trying to keep it focused and relaxed then when the dive begins uh you will pull your hand on the line turn yourself uh, horizontal vertical and start to let's say pull down so this discipline that i'm going to describe is called free immersion and that involves the diver pulling themselves down on a rope so you'll be wearing a full wetsuit now this isn't a wetsuit that you see in surfing or uh, in people swimming or you know sea swimming um it's hooded it's usually custom made it's two piece and um, most divers will have a clip on their nose they're wearing a lanyard attached to their foot or their wrist and it which attaches them to the line which is obviously a really big part of safety equipment so, you know, um, divers will wear a weight belt, which will help overcome positive buoyancy. But that almost feels like the boring bit. How it feels is the amazing part. And I, th I think as far as I remember, the very first line of my book, Underwater, is 
underwater, you don't hear anything. Putting my face in the water is like a sigh of relief from my mind. Internal chatter and judgment fade to a white noise. And that, for me, is where the magic starts. Halfway through my book, I describe a dive. I describe a dive in the World Championships. So it's quite a high pressure environment. And, you know, the chapter begins and I'm I'm describing all the things that are running through my mind. And it is noisy. I am thinking about people watching. I am thinking about what happens if I fail, all the work that's gone into it, the water splashing in my face. So clearly I'm not relaxed. And then I put my face in the water and all that dissipates. So the first part of a dive, I'm going to try and overcome positive buoyancy. I want to start to sink. So I'm pulling down the line using a rhythm to to help me, uh, you know, a concentrate and secondly, relax. And then at about 23, 24 meters, something shifts and I start to become negatively buoyant. And that means I start to sink. And soon enough, I'm going to go into the state which is called free fall. So it means I don't have to do anything to sink. Now, to some people, that sounds terrifying. (laughs) You're sinking in depth. But the mental state that goes with that is dreamy. Uh, You know, a lot of free divers describe this as it's like having a snooze. It's it's like being in a dreamlike state. You can feel the flow of the water over your face Um, You are focusing on keeping your body relaxed. It is, it feels like flying. But Claire, you're describing that as as a beautiful thing. That in itself sounds absolutely terrifying because you're falling and you're going deeper and deeper. Mm. Mm. And the danger level is rising. Yeah, maybe that's the magic of it. And the magic isn't the danger, but the magic is that sense of autonomy, because to get to that point, there's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of, well, aside from anything, there's a lot of safety things happening around you, but there's a lot of work that you've done to keep yourself relaxed, to keep yourself safe in in this space. Um, And when you reach the end of your, say, your target dive, let's say it's 60 meters, you're going to turn and start moving up. And there definitely is this moment where, (laughs) well, for me anyway, where you're humbled at where you're at, like you're 60 meters underwater. But of course, you can't stop and dwell on that. And nor can you allow yourself to go down that rabbit hole of thinking that way because thoughts use oxygen. So you want to keep yourself as neutral as possible to bring yourself up from the depth as calmly and as safely as possible. It's hard to overestimate how important it was for you to be able to put your head in the water and clear your head because you're incredibly honest in this book about some of the struggles you were going through uh, with your mental health. And as you say, you were on this trip to say yes Mm. to everything. It's still incredible listening to you describe it, that you can blank everything out, that that there's not a level of stress, that there's not a level of fear that's there when Mm. you put your head in the water and you know what you're about to do. There. mm. So firstly, I'm going to do a little correction. Um, I don't describe mental health. I describe mental illness. And I suppose I feel passionate about this. Let's call it what it is. It's not mental health. There was nothing healthy about what was happening to me. It was mental illness. And I think that just frames the the freediving a little bit more. 
And for me to describe, and you know, the first chapter is a dive. It's a blissful dive. You know, I, I sometimes read it to myself <laughs> when I'm stuck in Ireland and I'm far away from uh, depth diving. Um, but to get to that point, there is a lot of work. And I think that's where the connection for me was, because to get to that point, I had to be very honest with what was going on. And I'll give you an example um, if, if we have time. Uh, in 2016, I had planned to go out to Utila to uh, train more. So I started, you know, watching what I was eating. I started getting back in the gym. I was in the pool. So I was training physically for this. I was watching my sleep and so on and so forth. They're doing things that an athlete would do. I also was spinning wheels in muck. <laughs> I was running around like it's a headless chicken. I was trying to, you know, adhere to my training schedule while finishing up work, while packing, while taking, while wrapping up, you know, loose ends here in Ireland to travel for, I think it was six or seven weeks. So I arrived out physically fit, mentally exhausted. Um, and I remember, you know, my first week of adaptation and I couldn't get past whatever it was, 10, 15, 20 metres. And I was so confused why. And the reality was I had totally neglected the mental aspect. And I think that's when free diving changed for me because it required me to be honest about how I was doing mentally, about what was coming up, about maybe difficult feelings, emotions, judgments. That's the big one. And start to redress that balance before I could do anything in the water. So when I describe going deeper, what is implicit in that is the relationship with my body and my mind. They'll have made friends. They're working together. So, yeah, it's really attractive to dive deeper, but also what's a really big reward is the work that that's gone into that for me anyway. And do you still find today that that connection is there, that there'll be times when you have planned something and uh, in your head you're going to go 60 metres, but actually when it gets to the day, you realise maybe the work hasn't gone into it. Yeah, 100%. Um, so at the moment I have long COVID and this is into year, it's into year three. So I've, have it, I've had it over two years. So what I've been able to do physically has changed dramatically. Um, so I am almost relearning how to approach a goal like that. And the goal has changed hugely. So I'm not, you know, aiming towards diving to 60 metres. I'm aiming to be able to walk 5K without being absolutely exhausted for three days after that. So, you know, obviously it's unfortunate, um, but it definitely has taught me a lot about approaching a task and breaking it down into small steps and, you know, having the goal, something that you can do on repeat, so that it's not this all out effort that leaves you wiped for a month afterwards, but something that's repeatable. Um, and I suppose that's where I'm at, but definitely, and it's a tough journey, but freediving has certainly informed my approach. Can you talk about long COVID? Can you talk about the impact it's had on you? Yeah, um, it's no other way to put it. It's crap. <laughs> in, in not an eloquent uh, phrase. Uh, yeah, it's brutal. Um, my main my main symptoms are chronic fatigue, um, respiratory issues, which is a really funny sensation. Um, you know, in other parts of my life, I teach singing, I teach voice, 
Um, I've, you know, taught and facilitated breathwork and conscious breathing for years, years before free diving. So breath has become something that's obviously part of my personal life, mm. but also my professional life. So now I sometimes feel like I'm wearing the wrong lungs. Uh, it's it's a really jarring sensation, but obviously there's exercises that I that I use and that I'm working on uh, on a day to day basis. It's the chronic fatigue part that's really, really interesting. It would be interesting if it wasn't happening to me because it's happening to me. It's crap as well as interesting. But what I mean by that is, yes, you know, it, it's not just about being tired, and I think that's something that I've had to change the language I use around it because when I tell people, you know, I'm feeling really, really tired, there is a lack of understanding about what tiredness means. And the response tend to tended to be, but you're all tired. And I'm saying, yeah, but like I need a nap during the day to be able to cook my dinner. And the response comes a nap during the day. Sure, wouldn't I love to have a nap during the day? And you're kind of no, that's not it. So I tend to use the word fatigued now, fatigued now with the idea that tiredness is something that can be cured by sleep. This doesn't. And it just, it causes you, forces you to look at a day very differently. If I am commuting, that's units of energy. If today is a day that I need to wash and dry my hair, that energy has to come from somewhere else. Now, I've been working on it. I'm also really, really, really lucky. I work with a personal trainer who has experience with clients with chronic fatigue. So I'm now at a place where I'm back to doing strength training, which is the dream. I will never complain about having to do a Bulgarian split squat <laughs> again because I feel so lucky to be able to do it. It does reframe things. Um, but we monitor monitor that really closely. You know, my 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 challenge isn't getting me to do more. It's not getting me into the gym or getting me out to run. It's stopping me doing too much. And that is a challenge for someone who, you know, a lot of their identity was around doing, going. Uh, it, it's, there's a huge mental aspect to that as well. And how are you dealing with that side of it when, you know, you, you found your thing with free diving mm. and, you know, you get to such a high level competitively as well, being able to go to a, a world championship like mm. four years ago to, yeah. to go from that to, as you say, someone who wants to be up and out and going and active to just n not being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Yeah, like th there's no two ways about it. It's it's really jarring. It's really, really difficult. And I think early on in long COVID, so that's kind of 2021, um, I was, I found it so hard, the idea that I might never free dive competitively again. <laughs> um, and then it changed. It changed to forget about competitions. What if I'm never able to free dive again? And then it went to what if going for a hike on a Sunday or sitting on the floor, tussling with my nieces and my nephews, what if that isn't an option? So actually my world got quite smaller. Now I try and deal with it kind of like I do most things uh, one step at a time. You know, looking too far ahead is is a little bit daunting. Um, 
But there is, there's a huge mental aspect, you know, it's around identity, it's around, you know, doing what you love. And unfortunately, comparison is probably the most dangerous aspect in that. And, you know, we're so connected with Instagram and whatever else you have. But when you're when you're in bed at five o'clock in a beautifully bright summer's evening because you need to physically lie down and you're seeing people doing hikes and swims and whatever else, of course, there's jealousy or comparison or, you know, coveting that lifestyle again. But that leads nowhere but misery. So protecting yourself and putting in boundaries is so important. I do it successfully maybe 40% of the time. And maybe next year it'll be 45% and we'll just keep working on that. Yeah, on the working on a bit, obviously I'm sure there's been a lot of research done into chronic fatigue, but long COVID specifically, do you have any ideas to when a full recovery can be expected or is it just patience? No, like I have had a GP who has told me it's in my head. So I think faith in um, doctors is probably a little bit low. Like I said, I am lucky. I have more recently encountered doctors who are curious by it. And when I say curious, they, you know, look at the bigger picture and they say no. And what I mean by that is they say, no, you shouldn't accept this as just the norm. You know, you forget that, you know, when you're making adaptations to your life like that, you it, it becomes normalized. So, yes, it's normal for me to go to the gym and then have to sleep for an hour. And, you know, that that that's nothing. That's not a big consequence. But when you look at the bigger picture and realize how much has changed and then someone from the outside steps in and said, no, we can do better than this. There's such a sense of relief and sadness that this is how you know, your life ha- has, has uh, I suppose, diminished or quality of life has diminished. Um, but I'm lucky I have experienced doctors who are curious about how we can make tweaks, how we can make small, consistent improvements. And that's the phase I'm in now. Um, but, you know, I, I'd i be happy with a 75% recovery. Oh, I think right. be super, absolutely super. Well, listen, the very best of luck with it. I do want to ask you about that competitive side of free diving. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, if you think of sort of faster, higher, stronger, like there's there's a safety to all of that. This feels like you're being competitive in a the more dangerous it becomes, the more chance you have of success. How, how does that work? Is there is it a very simple the gold medal goes to whoever dives the deepest? Yeah. Yeah, that's that is the answer to that question. So how do you know when to say stop? When you're down uh, there, gonna well. Oh, sorry. Let me clarify a point. So I decide beforehand okay. how I'm going to go. It's not an open line, so it's not me and Jim <laughs> from Selbridge competing on the on an open line. Um, you know, we decide beforehand. So the night before, I say, right, I'm going to dive sixty meters, and Jim from Selbridge, <laughs> this amazing athlete, is going to decide he's diving ninety. Um, so that's that is decided the night before. And that's obviously based on training. It's based on previous numbers you've done. You know, in, in terms of the wider world of freediving, I am very, very average. I am, you know, 60 meters isn't deep um, compared to athletes in mid and, and top level of the sport. Um, the dangerous element, like obviously you're holding your breath underwater. So there's no way I can talk talk you out of the danger element. 
But what I can say is there's a lot of calculated risk. You know, you do play by a very specific set of rules that you just do not break. For example, the top rule is never dive alone. And you'll be shocked to realize how many people take liberties with that rule because they think, oh, I'm but I'm only going to uh, 10 metres, I'm only going to 15 metres. You know, there is no circumstance that is 100% safe to dive on your own. And of course, there are lots of other um, uh, rules and um, setups put in place to keep divers and safety teams safe, which is detailed in my book. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's your uh, personal best? Uh, well, it's actually 59 metres. Um, and also the longest amount of time I can hold my breath is five minutes and 59 seconds. So you can see that somewhere there, there's a real issue with the number six. <laughs> I plan to conquer at some point in my life. <laughs> was it Kate Winslet was seven minutes and 15 seconds I read when she was uh, training for Avatar? She could hold her breath for yeah, a world record. It's very Not a world record. Not a world record. World record is nine minutes what? and two seconds. It is incredible. The female uh, world record is nine minutes to incredible. And I've watched that dive. There's videos and uh, it's actually the diver I mentioned, Natalia Mulchnova. She comes up like it was nothing. It is exceptional. Um, so that is real other world athlete sort of stuff. What were you like when you would come back up? Would you be physically drained? Yeah, like there, there, there is definitely a struggle, um, particularly towards the end. But no, like, you know, you're tired and I guarantee you no cup of coffee or slice of cake tastes better after you've done a long breath hold. So chances are that's what I've been thinking of at the last 30 seconds is that cup of coffee I'm going to have after it. Uh, but it, it, it's, it, it is, it's incredible. So the discipline of holding your breath for the longest amount of time is called static. So you are lying static on top of the pool. So it is just you and your mind. And that might sound quite simple, but how often do we as people nowadays sit with just our mind, no music, no radio program on the background, no podcast in our ears, no phone in our hands, just you and your thoughts. So definitely when I come up from a long breath hole like that, there's a sense of achievement and there's a sense of, again, that word autonomy of, hey, I can sit with my own thoughts for five minutes, 59 seconds. I wish it was six minutes, but maybe next time, you know, there's definitely... You're not just a cheated a bit and said it was six minutes. <laughs> no, I will earn that second when it happens. Can you free dive around Ireland? Yeah, of course you Anywhere. can. Um, yeah, like I suppose very often when I'm talking about free diving, whether it's an infuse, I'm talking about depth or depth training. But, you know, like we have an incredible coastline and essentially free diving is holding your breath underwater. So if you are on the surface and you pop your snorkel out and you take a breath and you go under to see some kelp or a fish or whatever it is, you're free diving. The big thing is take a course, learn how to do it properly from professionals. And that that's when that safety aspect comes in. Yeah, the depth you give the example in the book was at Liberty Hall is basically what yeah. you're you're diving. Yeah. Uh, turn it upside down, 
Stick it in the Liffey exactly. and off you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to die from the Liffey ever. <laughs> <laughs> There's limitations. Uh, listen, it's a fascinating book, uh, Claire. Thanks a million for joining us. It's uh, available right now. Underwater, How Holding My Breath Taught Me How to Live. It's available in all good bookshops. And it's the very best with your continued recovery as well. Thank you very much. Cheers.